A reading from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. A reading from 1 John chapter 4. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. A reading from Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish and in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, 
they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's sermon is our Old Testament reading, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, patience is indeed a virtue. But like all godly virtues, patience is a virtue that does not come naturally. True patience flows from trust in God, that is, from spirit-wrought faith. Patience is a sign of humility, of humbling yourself before the Lord and waiting upon Him and for His will to unfold. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who enables us to believe that God is in control over us, that what He ordains is best for us, and that he will do everything he says he will do for us. Impatience comes much more naturally. Impatience flows from our natural and sinful flesh, from our natural lack of trust in God. Impatience is a sign of pride. Just as patience and impatience are opposites, so too is pride the opposite of humility. Humility is submission to God. Pride is defiance of God. Patience and humility lead us to say, God, you are my God, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But impatience and pride lead us to say, I am my own God, and my will, not thy will be done, and let it be done for me now. When we are impatient, when we attempt to take control over our lives away from God, we are acting as if we are God. Again, we are acting out of pride. This is what reoccurs every single time. You can go back to Genesis 3 and read the fall. For all sin really is rooted in pride. Because we are Christians, we are both saint and sinner on this side of heaven. We are all patient and humble, according to our new Adam, but we are impatient and proud, according to the old. So with this in mind, we consider Abraham. In Genesis 15, Abraham, still called Abram, reveals his natural impatience with God, his natural lack of trust in God. You see, God had made Abraham a promise. Back in Genesis 12, we read how the Lord called Abraham out of paganism and said to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, in chapter 13, after Lot had separated from Abraham, God reiterated his promise once more and adding, 
Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. God, of his own free will, graciously promised many things to Abraham. He promised an heir who would then lead to the establishment of a great nation. He promised innumerable offspring, that is, those who share Abraham's faith, both physical descendants who share Abraham's faith and inherit the promised land as part of the old covenant that is now fulfilled, and those who are not his physical descendants, and yet believe. The offspring of Abraham are not all ethnic Jews, but are all believers, be they Jew or Gentile, as the New Testament clearly shows in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 and 4. And God promises that ultimately the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be a descendant of Abraham, for that is what it means for Abraham to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And we know this, for we know that Abraham's faith was in the Messiah. But Abraham had his doubts. He doubted the word of God and didn't know how it could possibly be fulfilled. He was becoming impatient and started acting like God by replacing God's plan with his own. Years had passed between the events of Genesis 12 and 13 and those of our text, Genesis 15. With each passing year, Abraham was tormented with doubt and questioned whether God will fulfill what he promised. Doubt fostered impatience, which in turn fostered pride. We often think of pride as being the synonym for boasting, and often boasting does come with pride, but pride in and of itself is whenever you take on the role of God for yourself. And God knows this. He knows when this happens. So knowing Abraham's thoughts, God speaks to him. He comes to him at night in a vision. God's first words to Abraham are, fear not. They are spoken because Abraham is afraid and that God is not being faithful. God says that he is Abraham's shield because Abraham felt insecure. He again says to Abraham that your reward shall be very great because Abraham wonders if God's goodness has left him completely. Abraham is being tested. He is in the midst of a fierce trial. That's what happens when there is a waiting period between God's promises and their fulfillment. These times are times of testing and trial. And this time of trial troubles Abraham. And what troubles Abraham troubles all believers when we face such tests and trials. Abraham is still a sinner, as are we all. Though he believes, yet his flesh leads him away from the promises of God into a spiral of fear and anxiety. 
Whenever we are facing affliction, we are so often led by the devil in our flesh from the true and clear promises of God into the realm of the unknowns, into the realm of mysteries, and even into the realm of downright lies, which causes great angst. Our flesh strains our faith, and it leads us to doubt the certainties of God's promises. Abraham knows what God has promised him, but he does not see it coming to pass. He questions God, his goodness, his character, his word, his faithfulness, everything. Ultimately, out of sinful pride, he thinks he needs to come up with a solution to the problem that God is not fulfilling his promises. For that's where pride leads. Again, it leads to playing God. He thinks he needs to take care of something that God has not taken care of yet. God isn't doing anything, so I will, says Abraham. After all, the days and years are passing, and I still have no son. This is what is happening when Abraham tells God, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus as if by declaration he could make Eliezer the heir of his house, as he goes through a sort of adoption process. In anguish and despair at God's seeming lack of action, he again says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And so he has plans to adopt Eliezer and make him his heir. So how does God respond to this? He responds the way he always responds to his dear children with his word of law and gospel. First, he corrects Abraham and rebukes him, says pretty matter-of-factly, this man shall not be your heir. It is as if God said to Abraham, no, Abraham, you are wrong. Do not try to take control of this situation. You do not need to adopt a son. I am God. I am in control, and you will have a son just as I promised. This man shall not be your heir. God also corrects and rebukes us when we attempt to take lordship over our life, when we usurp God's rule. When we begin to doubt God's sovereign control over all things and his providential care for us, when we try to take control over our lives, when we try to act as if we are God by coming up with our own self-serving solutions to our problems or our own selfish morality, or if we lack the patience and humility to submit to his will for us, is this not what happens? Are we not corrected and rebuked when we are faced with the law of God. Of course we are. God rightly rebukes us. He tells us that our solutions and our ways are all wrong, just like he told Abraham that his supposed solution was wrong. No wonder bad things happen when we act out of pride and try to manipulate God's word. Go home and read Genesis 16, the chapter following, and read about the story of Sarah and Hagar. Again, another instance of impatience and pride leading to them trying to manipulate and control the situation. God speaks against Abraham's pride to drive Abraham to repentance, 
just as God calls us to repent of our pride and our sin. Immediately after saying to Abraham that his idea is wrong and foolish, he says, your own son shall be your heir. He could have told Abraham, I'm done with you. I'm going to leave you now high and dry. How dare you for defying me? And yet he doesn't. He takes Abraham out into the night and says, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. After bringing Abraham low and humbling him, God raises him up again and comforts him. After striking down his pride and impatience, God speaks what is necessary to strengthen Abraham's faith once more and to produce patience and humility in him. He makes promises. He reiterates the gospel. By these words, God is saying, Abraham, your faith is not in vain. My promises are sure and certain. It may seem impossible, Abraham, to have a son, but I can do what is impossible, and you will have a son. You may think that there will not be innumerable offspring who follow in your footsteps, who share your same faith, but there will be. You will not be able to count them, for they will be as the stars of the heaven. And all of this is going to happen because through you I will fulfill the most important promise of all. I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. For I have a promise to give to them, a promise for all mankind. I will send my son to crush the devil, as I said in Genesis 3.15. He will pay the price for the sin of the whole world, and he will save from death and eternal damnation. Thus God speaks his promises again to Abraham, and all these promises are the promises that Abraham believed, for he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. A whole sermon could be preached on this verse, verse 6, and I would venture to say it is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament, certainly in the book of Genesis. Many sermons have been preached on it, for here we have the chief article of the Christian faith, justification by grace through faith. God's promises are certain, and they are true. And from the very beginning, God promised to send his only begotten son to die on the cross and accomplish the reconciliation and redemption of the world, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the chief promise that God speaks to all, to the entire world. There is forgiveness, life, and salvation for you in Jesus Christ and for his sake. This is the heart of the gospel. Through faith we receive what is freely given to us by Christ. This is why faith is counted as righteousness to Abraham and to us, not because faith is so great and noble a human work that merits something, for it is the work of God, not man, 
But faith is counted as righteousness to Abraham and all believers because Jesus Christ is righteous and he bestows his righteousness to us, which faith then receives. Faith trusts in Christ and in him alone. Faith clings to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Faith receives what God promises to us, especially what he promises in Christ Jesus. This is the nature of saving faith. It is the nature of Abraham's faith. It is the nature of our faith as well. And this is the faith that justifies. Whenever we become impatient and full of fear and pride, like Abraham, there is but one solution. Turn back to the word of God. That's why God speaks to Abraham again in our text. That's why he speaks to us too in his word of Holy Scripture. His word rebukes us and our impatience and pride, but his word also comforts us and tells us that he is in control. His word tells us that Christ has overcome sin and death and the devil for us and that we are righteous in God's eyes on his account. There is no need to worry. There is no need to be afraid. For these things only lead to impatience and pride and sin. Instead, the word calls us and enables us to be patient, to be humble. It creates and sustains the faith necessary to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. For he is always faithful to us, and his word is certain and true, without any error, without any lies, without any false promises or falsehood. What God said to Abraham, he says to each one of us as well. Fear not, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. Yes, your reward shall be very great, dear brothers and sisters, for your reward is what God himself gives to you, forgiveness, life, and salvation in Jesus Christ. Believe in this as your father Abraham believed, that you too may be accounted as righteous. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.